0: relocate temporarily uh, because they have the regional business that they have to look after and they need to travel within the region. Mm -hmm. But now with more relaxation, we're actually, we are seeing people coming back. And many of these financial institutions are telling us that, okay, they are actually many of their staff that are temporarily relocated. They are now coming back. So um, I I think it's a good sign.
1: And and where will this goal, we've got this goal of bringing in 35,000 talented people every year. uh, Where is it going to come from?
0: Um, I... I, I think that it would have to come uh, from uh, for, for different sectors. Now, for example, even if we look at the financial sector, it's not just finance as such. But uh, apart from people working in financial institution, we also need all uh, all sorts of uh, supporting services, um, uh, professional services. For example, other accounting, legal, uh, and then in the green uh, finance field. For example, we also need people to have the knowledge about the environment, uh, about green finance. Um, so. Uh, I think um, it's a a lot of different kind of talent that we need. And, of course, I'm just talking about uh, finance. And I I think the government has laid out a pretty uh, uh, ambitious agenda in uh, redeveloping Hong Kong's economy. So I I do expect that um, uh, we should be looking at all sorts of talents, uh, not just finance.
1: Well, Mr. Zhang, good luck with the Investment Summit this week. And thank you for joining me on Money Talk this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Daryl Chan, Deputy Chief Executive Officer at the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this week in Australia right now. The SX200 up just over 1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 moving further ahead now this morning at uh, up about 1% and a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea uh, has gained 0.6%. It also looks like the Hang Seng is going to open to the upside, about 150 points firmer, which will put it just back above the 15,000 level when trading gets going this morning. Thank you very much for listening to Money Talk this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Danny Gittings and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, dry with sunny periods, maximum temperature around 28 degrees. It's going to be windy and some swells in the next couple of days. Cooler with showers on Tuesday and Wednesday. Standby signal number one is in force. There is also a red fire danger warning in, in effect, and it's 24 degrees, 52% relative humidity. Just gone 8:32, here's
2: Ben Che with the Half Hour News. Distraught relatives in Seoul have been visiting hospitals and a missing person center searching for people who may have been injured or killed in a crush on Saturday that killed at least 153 people celebrating Halloween. Four Chinese nationals are among the dead. Meanwhile, police in Hong Kong urge revelers who plan to celebrate Halloween in Lankwai Fong tonight to avoid gathering on steep slopes and steps in the area and vow to step up crowd control measures. An assistant police commander for Central, Chao Wing Yi, said police want everyone to enjoy the celebration safely. We will implement one-way pedestrian flow. Everyone knows that in Lan Kui Fong, there are many steep slopes and stairs. To avoid danger, we hope people won't stay or gather at these places for too long. Epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling says he doesn't think it'll make much difference to the city if COVID travel restrictions are dropped, such as the testing of arrivals and restrictions on their movements in the first few days. Hong Kong's daily COVID caseload has hovered around the 5,000 mark for weeks. Professor Cowling from the University of Hong Kong told RTHK that travel measures were only critical for countries trying to stay at zero cases, such as Macau and the mainland.
3: In Hong Kong, we've got 5,000 cases a day. Travel measures are not critical to us. They really don't do much except cause disruption and cause enormous cost, actually, to the city. So I don't think there's a risk associated with stopping the on-arrival testing or the, the post-arrival testing. And I don't think there's really any risk associated with dropping any of the other travel related measures in hong kong and i don't understand what the idea is about what these measures are stopping from happening
2: and that's the news from rthk
4: good morning welcome to mac chat i'm danny gittings your guest presenter this morning is mike rouse good morning mike good morning danny In our main topic today, we're going to be talking about the illegal wildlife trade in Hong Kong ahead of Ocean Park Conservation Day this coming Saturday, which this year will focus on the threat to freshwater turtles. Scientists say illegal hunting means that the local freshwater turtles are in danger of becoming extinct and that their conservation status is even more critical than that of Jowd Pandas. But it's not only turtles which are at risk, with Hong Kong's long-standing status as a hub for wildlife trafficking, meaning other endangered species are at risk as well. A new law was meant to crack down on such unwelcome activities by increasing the penalties imposed on wildlife traffickers. And we'll be asking the experts, how effective has the new legislation been? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at, rth, uh, backchat at rthk.hk. Or you give us a call on 233 88 That's 233 88 Later in the program, we'll be looking at how artificial intelligence can help track down stranded hik- hikers. Uh, before we go to our guests, um, of course, the news has been dominated by this terrible tragedy in South Korea. And uh, let me just bring in a comment that has been um, uh, posted by one of our listeners on um, on the Backchat Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Um, Hammond says, I'm a longtime listener of the show and request your kind self to read out on the air for those planning to celebrate Halloween Eve. Please give respect to those who passed away on Saturday night in Seoul to avoid this year's outing. To the bars and restaurants of Hong Kong, hope you can avoid the decorations and promotion on this day this year. Thank you all, RAP. Thank you very much, Hemant. Moving on to our main topic on uh, the illegal uh, wildlife trade in Hong Kong, and with a particular focus on Ocean Park Conservation Day this coming Saturday, which is talking about the threat to uh, freshwater turtles. Uh, our guests uh, for the um, main uh, segment of the uh, programme this morning, uh, Dr. Sung Yik Kai, who's Assistant Professor in the Science Unit at Lingnan University, um, Dr. Michael Lau, Adjunct Professor at the University of Hong Kong School of Biological Sciences, and in our Queensway studio, Sam English. Sam English is the wildlife programme manager at ADM Capital Foundation. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat, um, Dr. Sung, maybe let's go to you first. Sure. Good uh, morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, you were actually, at, uh, as far as I understand, you were actually at the uh, kickoff ceremony for Ocean Park uh, Conservation uh, day, day last week, and uh, you were talking about uh, just how serious this, this issue is about um, uh, freshwater turtles in, in Hong Kong. Maybe, maybe you could explain uh, explain for our listeners. Sure. Sure.
5: Um, yeah, so from, I've done research on freshwater turtles like in the wild in Hong Kong for the last <coughs> around 30, 40 years. So one thing we observe is uh, actually similar to many other places in, uh, across Southeast Asia, the turtle, freshwater turtle population have been heavily hunted. So there are, uh, my data show that uh, pretty much all, all rivers or streams that we have visited, there, were, there have been signs of illegal turtle hunting. Uh, and then there, uh, there, are pl- there are a lot of places we should find turtles that uh, we cannot find animals. So maybe uh, close to eighty or ninety percent. So that's like a distribution uh, from a distribution perspective. And there are species that are very close to what we call functional extinction, which means they cannot really find a mate to reproduce. The population is no longer viable.
6: All right. Good morning, doctor. What what's the legal position? Because I've seen people hunting turtles in, in reservoirs. Where is that? Sorry? I've seen people hunting uh, turtles, for example, in, in a reservoir in a country park. Um, what is it? What is the legal position? Is specifically so not allowed? It,
5: it, it's not allowed. So there are uh, two laws uh, related. So one is the CAP 100, 170 called Wild Animal Protection Ordinance. So all wild turtles are protected. Basically, you cannot hunt it, you cannot harvest it, uh, and wild turtle, freshwater turtle in the wild. And then you, uh, in many cases, they use trapping device. So they use like metal cages. Uh, or in, in recent cases, we found people using electric fishing tools. Uh, that are all illegal. Um, yeah, across what? Hong Kong, no matter in country parks or not.
6: Right. Who who's in charge of enforcement?
5: Uh, AFCD, Agricultural, Fisheries, and Conservation Department.
6: Why, why are you smiling, Mike? Well, because I've never seen anyone on patrol doing this. Well, yeah. what's the what's the prosecution rate like?
5: I, I we uh, I think that's very low, but we do not have really concrete data from them. Uh, from what we, yeah, as, as as you said, like a very uh, low patrol effort that as we observe. So especially like when we talk about turtles, they are small, right? And they occur in rivers and streams. Uh, we do not see a lot of petrol effort on main road, uh, let alone like streams and rivers. And uh, recent, in the re- last recent few years, we actually saw quite a lot of people that they hunt. That they go to country parks and hunt at nighttime. And at nighttime, like outside of office hours, we do not really see any petrol effort, uh, like regular, Petrol effort, indeed. So this is actually one major shortcomings, like limitation of our enforcement on sites in Hong right.
6: Kong. And what are the penalties in theory?
5: So in theory, so the, for the uh, hunting that I mentioned, uh, maximum one year of imprisonment, imprisonment, and also I think ten, if I remember correctly, ten thousand penalty.
6: Right. Um, can I just ask? Supposing there were no turtles. By by the time of the Lunar New Year, what would be the knock-on effects of that on other species or on plants? Because yep. sometimes it, it, it's not just the, the creature that you're, is the subject. It's what it right. what happens to other species?
5: Right. So indeed, across Asia, there have been very little research, like talking about what are the important in the natural environment, like of freshwater turtle, basically because they are so rare. Uh, most researchers cannot really find wild population that, uh, we, we try to do this in Hong Kong with the remnant population. So one thing that we found, they are important. They are probably very important seed disperser. So uh, I did an experiment. I tried to compare seed germination rates. So I collect seeds from their feces and uh, try to plant them, and they show very high germination rates. So one thing that we know that they are important for the forest, so, they help certain seeds to disperse the the seeds. And maybe in the past, maybe after the Second World War, they definitely, they probably play a role in forest regeneration. Uh, and then another very important aspect is about nutrients. So, that's not everyone in the public can understand. But uh, we know that before like, they uh, began to be hunted in the wild, they, they, they can occur in very high lumber. And they eat basically everything. They are what we call opportunistic feeder, what, what appears they can eat. And one, one role they play is scavengers. Uh, they eat like, with dead bodies or waste uh, of other animals. So they are very important for what we call nutri- nutrient cycling. So like waste, dead body, something that we think not useful anymore. They eat it, turn into their biomass. Uh, and then become useful again in the
4: ecosystem. Now we also jo- so, yeah. so we're also joined by um, another specialist in this area, Dr. Michael Lau, who's an adjunct professor at the University of Hong Kong School of uh, Biological Sciences. So good morning, Dr. Lau. Uh, good morning. Yeah, I mean, and the Ocean Park Conservation Foundation in uh, choosing to uh, focus on uh, freshwater turtles, they, they said that freshwater turtles are, um, have a more critical con- con- conservation status than even giant pandas. Um, uh, is the situation really that serious? Uh,
3: yes, uh, because uh, for the giant panda, uh, through uh, many years of uh, research and conservation, we are actually seeing uh, the numbers uh, in the wild actually going up. And also uh, uh, there's a lot uh, of of them being uh, bred in captivity and some of them are being released back to the wild and we're seeing... Uh, New nature research, uh, big uh, uh, national park being established for this species. But for the freshwater turtles, actually across the entire Asian continent, all of them are under threat uh, due to over-exploitation. Uh, back in early 2000s, uh, uh, the researchers gathered together uh, so that uh, we can uh, piece together the whole picture and found uh, yeah, this over-exploitation is uh,
6: a Right now, well, you, you've you've pointed out specifically, or, and Danny did too, that uh, giant pandas are, were in danger, but they now seem to be growing in number again. Is it? Are we talking because they're more photogenic than turtles?
3: Uh, yes, uh, obviously it's a national treasure, um, so it's a very very high profile species. <laughs> a lot of uh, resources and attention has been put into it and turned into a very um, good um, success story, which is great. Right. Uh, but for freshwater turtles, unfortunately, uh, we are not seeing uh, that much attention.
6: What can we do about that?
3: Um, I think uh, uh, what um, Ocean Park has done is, is good, as a, a good start, is to uh, uh, bring people's attention to uh, um, some of these um, huge little animals we have. In Hong Kong, we're a small place. We don't have giant panda. The tiger has already gone extinct. Uh, but we have a lot of these uh, smaller uh, creatures, which are, uh, are unique in a sense that um, they play a specific role in the environment. Um, and also, they have a very special uh, biology
4: Okay, we're also joining our Queensway studio by uh, Sam English. Sam English is the Wildlife Program Manager at ADM Capital Foundation. He was also co-author of a report, Still Trading Instinction, the uh, dark side of Hong Kong's wildlife trade. And maybe later on we'll talk more generally about the wildlife trade in, um, in Hong Kong. But first of all, um, uh, Mr. English, you, your thoughts specifically on the issue of freshwater turtles and the um, law enforcement problems that uh, my uh, co-host was referring to earlier.
7: Uh, yeah, well, thank you very much for having us on uh, the radio this morning. Um, Absolutely. The, the scale of the trade in uh, Hong Kong is absolutely, uh, you know, we are world leaders in in this space. So I think that that's in a really important context. Uh, before we even delve into the illegal wildlife trade, obviously poaching is a major issue. Um, there are a number of questions that have been raised about the legality of the trade um, in Hong Kong. But I think it's also really important that we we think about Hong Kong's uh, significant contribution to the decline of freshwater turtles around the world. It's not just about the ones that we're poaching within our city, but it's also about the ones that are coming into Hong Kong via questionable means or are being poached in other jurisdictions and then somehow entering the markets um, ostensibly legally. Why
4: would uh, turtles enter the market? You mean they have being
7: brought in as pets? Yes, absolutely. So one of the other reports that we worked on was called Wild Threatened Farmed, Hong Kong's Invisible Pets. Uh, and what we found that was over a five-year period, a staggering 2.5 million uh, live freshwater turtles were imported um, most likely for the pet trade. Um, and probably another half a million were bought, brought in to be consumed. So, for on, the two and, consumed. and a half
4: million being brought into Hong Kong.
7: That is correct, yes.
4: So, two and a half million pet tur- turtles.
7: That is what the data
4: would indicate. You obviously are having some <laughs> hesitation about that, the way you were talking. I mean, I can imagine it's a serious problem, but t- two and a half million turtles.
6: They're, I'm sorry, they're in soup they're not in cages in people's houses.
7: Well some species are absolutely being eaten and many of the animals that have been imported have been explicitly imported for consumption. However many of the species that we're seeing being brought into Hong Kong are most likely not for food. But then this raises three sorts of scenarios um, and we're unclear. I I don't even know if the the Hong Kong government is necessarily clear on which of these three outcomes is the most likely and one um, potentially we're seeing very large numbers dying off so and as you know as people 's pets are dying off, they want to replenish them, so they get another one, so that might be you know having a perverse incentivization for bringing in more and more and more. The other option um, is that we 're seeing uh, a large number of animals um surviving, but they 're within within Hong Kongers' as homes um, but that then raises the question of why don 't each and every one of us know you know households that have two, three, four, five, six, seven turtles living in their house uh, and then there 's the third outcome. Um, which is that a large number of these animals are possibly being trafficked out of the city, um, and possibly into mainland China, possibly to you know Japan um, and, and other jurisdictions. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm that sorry,
4: was, we're still struggling with this idea of even. A <laughs> minute, I mean, how many cats and dogs in Hong Kong? Can't, that, can't... That, that
6: was actually going to be my next question. <laughs> we're an entrepot mm. of sorts. I know in many different species, but where are the tur- where would the turtles go?
7: Well, as I say, there's kind of those three most likely scenarios, and it's very, most, it's very probably a combination of those three. Um, but the reality is there isn't the data to necessarily support any one of those outcomes, and that's one of the things that we've really been in support of is for a more comprehensive review of the scale of the trade because I think before we even understand how to regulate the trade better, we need to really understand what's, what the outcome is for so many of these animals.
6: Right, because I, when I think of pets... Being being discarded, as well, people get bored with a dog or a cat or a rabbit or whatever, and they just put. It's easy easy to imagine them doing the same thing with a a turtle, but then you would be finding them in the wild, and we're not finding them in the wild either.
7: Well, there there is evidence to suggest, and I think um, Dr. yik uh, and also Dr. Lau would both be very well qualified to comment on the fact that there are species that we are seeing in local ecosystems which sh- certainly shouldn't be there and certainly are not endemic. So there's things like the alligator snapping turtle. I mean, this is a, this is a big old turtle that comes from America, and they can grow up to, you know, 70 kilos. They've got a, a hell of a bite on them, and some people do abandon them when they realize, you know, this animal is going to live for you know, 30 plus years, it's getting way out of control in terms of size, this one could actually take a finger off. So what the hell do I do with it? And, you know, it's really difficult to know how you manage an animal that you bought as a cute, not necessarily cuddly, but as a cute, small little hatchling. And then it's just continued to exponentially grow bigger and bigger and bigger until you just can't really facilitate its growth or, or keep it in good condition within your home. I mean, we all live in flats in Hong Kong, so it's really difficult to manage a wild animal that does grow to that scale um, suitably. Most of us would really struggle to provide for its nutritional needs, um, to provide the space that they need. Um, yeah, and to, and to keep it and yourself um, safe.
4: Well, you're certainly learning a lot about turtles this morning, aren't we, Mike? <laughs> um, uh, right. Yes, we are. We're, we're discussing uh, the wildlife trade in Hong Kong with a particular focus on the threat of freshwater turtles, which is the theme of Ocean Park Conservation uh, Day this year, on this coming Saturday, Sunday. Uh, if you've got any thoughts, uh, email us at backchat@rthk.hk. at rthk.hk. That's backchat@rthk.hk, at rthk.hk. Or leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk, radio free. Uh, let's go back to Dr. Sung and to pick up on the point that uh, Sam English has raised, uh, saying that uh, Dr. Sung... Uh, are, are you, are you, in your research, are you finding evidence of, spe- of, t- of turtles, uh, species of turtles in Hong Kong that have clearly been introduced that aren't native here, that maybe abandoned yeah, pets?
5: Yeah, so we actually collect, like, uh, we, in the wild or from other people observations, we actually observe quite a lot of uh, non-native, so freshwater turtles introduced by human beings uh, from elsewhere. I think we record over, like, 25 species. Uh Many different types might be one of the places with the highest diversity of non-native freshwater turtles worldwide. So uh, those are those animals are probably from like release pads or from mercy released. Um, yeah, so we actually found a lot of them.
4: Uh, Dr. Lau, any thoughts on this about the introduction of um, basically species from overseas into our ecosystem?
3: Uh, I think if you go to uh, the urban park or the reservoirs, um, quite often you'll see the uh, uh, red ear sliders, uh, which is a very common pet turtle uh, for sale in, uh, I think, in, in all the wet markets in the aquarium shops. You'll find baby uh, red ear sliders for sale. They're green in color. It's got red ear, very cute. So a lot of kids would uh, like to have them. But then they'll grow to a bigger size and uh, more demanding. Um, so uh, a lot of them got released into parks and reservoirs.
6: what do they eat if you keep them um, as a pet
3: yeah uh, at, at home uh, people can give them all sorts of different food uh, because uh, they are uh, not fussy about the food uh, maybe scraps of meat or even rice or you can uh, buy a turtle pellet which is a dry pellet especially made for turtles uh, but in the wild, once we released in the wild, they are scavengers, um, so they feed on dead animals, they also uh, um, hunt uh, small aquatic insects, um, uh, dead fish, and so forth.
6: All right, so they're useful on this uh, re- uh, nutrient recycling we were talking well, about before.
3: Well, we, we do have uh, the, the native species, so we, we don't need uh, an exotic <laughs> species, and in fact, um, uh, one native species, uh, the reese turrapin, um, uh, we suspect uh, the population has gone down. It's, it's getting uh, more difficult uh, to find them in the wild. They share the same habitat as the red-eared sliders, and uh, red ear sliders are bigger, uh, more aggressive. So it, it's quite uh, possible that red-eared sliders have outcompeted our native turtles. Right.
6: And- do, do some of the imports sort of... To re- de- re- de- replace and push out the the local species.
3: Yeah, the red eared sliders is um, uh, is, uh, is uh, one of the hundred uh, most important invasive species. So uh, it has caused uh, 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 environmental uh, uh, impact in other places, uh, but in Hong Kong. Uh, there hasn't been any detailed study so we do not know the exact impacts it has on the ecology
4: An uh, interesting comment coming in from a listener mark uh, emailing at backchat at, it's backchat at says uh afcd uh, it's the agricultural Fish- fisheries and conservation department are only gatekeepers they seem to do nothing else full-time employed park rangers are needed um, how about that, Dr. Lau, a spe- specialist team to um, uh, to preserve turtles?
2: Um,
3: yeah, I think I think that's a very good suggestion. Actually, uh, we have 40% of our land as country parks, so they have uh, park wardens, uh, but they have many different duties, like uh, cleaning up uh, barbecue pits and so on and so forth. And um, for the, the illegal hunting we observed, uh, and occurring at um, uh, at uh, late at night, I think a small team of uh, dedicated uh, park rangers who wouldn't uh, uh, who wouldn't be uh, upset by getting their feet wet, um, yeah, would be uh, would be highly welcome.
4: Uh, how about that, uh, Sam English?
7: Uh, absolutely I mean anything we can do to bolster the enforcement uh, is, is a very much a welcome step I, I would definitely be in favor of, of <laughs> more more footfalls in the country parks from government regulation.
6: Yeah, one thing that struck me in the conversation so far between the three of you um, not questions is how little we know what what can we do to plug the information gap?
7: yeah maybe, if, if you don't mind me going uh, first. um, I think that there's a number of different data gaps. And I mean, in terms of understanding our ecological footprint in the the global scale, understanding how we're affecting global biodiversity loss, which I think is an important piece of the puzzle, um, particularly as we're a tiny city that has led the import of live reptiles that are governed under the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species for you know at least five six or seven years. Um, We do have a responsibility to many other jurisdictions so I think some of the data gaps that we need to be plugging is what are the outcomes for these animals that are entering our city. We also need to be much more clear about which animals we are allowing into our city so you know whether it's some form of positive or negative list we need to be very robustly assessing the suitability of the animals that are coming into our city, whether it be on conservation grounds, whether it be on their suitability, how technically challenging they can be to care for. Uh, there are a whole not- host of factors that we really need to be taking into consideration before we allow these animals in, because there's so many unintended consequences, whether it be an animal biting someone in their home, whether it be releasing you know, tens of thousands of radio sliders into local ecosystems, which then force the erratic of another species that is endemic to our city um, there's all these different things introducing bio like um, uh, zoonotic diseases into the local environment you know all of these things are really important considerations that we need to be analyzing very significant seriously because the consequences can be significant um, and it's not just about what happens in Hong Kong it's also radiates into you know broader mainland China you know we, we share a lot of ecosystems with these other environments and and we have a responsibility to do more to understand what's going on in our city for the greater benefit uh, of everyone. Uh, let's let's go back to
4: uh, Dr. Lau because he has to leave in a moment. Uh, uh, Dr. Lau, what, what more should we be doing to raise awareness?
3: Um, yeah, I think uh, um, not only about um, the native turtles we have, but also about how uh, valuable they are. Mm. Um, some of these species uh, critically endangered. Uh, that is uh, uh, more so than the giant panda, and we often pride ourselves as uh, doing a very good job in conserving biodiversity. Because I remembered in uh, some of the international conferences we have, uh when we said, "Oh, we still have um, uh, the big headed turtles. We still have the golden coin turtles in the wild," people were highly surprised. Because, yeah, uh, um, how how can how could that happen? That's because our legislations, our country park systems, and our uh, uh, enforcement and researches in place were adequate at the time, but now things have changed. Um, so even uh, our highly threatened turtles are being emptied out from okay. the country parks. Okay. And that's not only affecting Hong Kong, yeah. uh, because uh, we have a good population a healthy populations
4: I'm afraid I'll have, to, uh, I'm sorry, I'll have to cut you off there, Dr. Lau, and say thank you very much to uh, Dr. Lau for joining us. Um, uh, but do stay with us because our uh, other two guests, Sam English and uh, Dr. I uh, will remain with us and we'll continue the discussion after the news. Uh, later on, also be looking at how AI can help track down stranded hikers. Uh, looking at the weather forecast, of course, as we know, the standby signal number one is currently hoisted. Uh, We're course, dry with sunny periods. The maximum temperature will rise to around 28 degrees and there will be northerly winds strong offshore. Currently 24 degrees, relative humidity 52%. We'll be back in three minutes.
2: Influence of the tropical storm in the northeast monsoon. You're listening to the
4: news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Benny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. In the main part part of the show, uh, we're continuing our discussion on the illegal wildlife trade in Hong Kong ahead of Ocean Park Conservation Day, Ocean Park Conservation Day uh, this coming weekend, Saturday Sunday, and this year focusing on the uh, threat to freshwater turtles. Our guests, as we continue the discussion in our Queensway studio, Sam English, the uh, wildlife program manager, ADM Capital Foundation, and on the line, uh, Dr. Sung Yik K. Uh, Dr. Sung is a Assistant Professor in the Science Unit of Lingnan University.
6: Sam, um, I, I remember this subject was very, very big a few years ago. I actually wrote about it in, in my one my SCMP column um, because the numbers were mind-boggling, and it got. Uh, I think the legislation on organised crime was changed so that uh, the police gave more priority to this subject, and we recognised it. For what it is, it's a huge money spinner for organised crime. How do the numbers look now?
7: Um, the uh, short story is that they have continued to rise. So we have seen, obviously, the world has come to somewhat of a standstill in response to COVID uh, and, you know, the economic downturn that, that has triggered um, and the clamping down on logistics, you know, not being quite as free as it once was. Uh, But what we have seen is despite all of those sort of stagnations, the wildlife trade or at least the proxy for wildlife trade or illegal wildlife trade, which is seizures in Hong Kong, we have seen the value and the volume of those seizures continue to rise. So 2021 for which you know, it's the latest year we have data for, uh, I think we seized approximately 408 metric tons. Um, of wildlife products, which ranges from uh, everything from live live animals to uh, logs to total arbor moors, all the and shark fins, and all of these these high value, high conservation value uh, right. products, which are being brought into our city, um, which amounts to hundreds of million, yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of wildlife products. So there was
6: something about <laughs> pangolins.
4: Uh, pangolins seems to be the the,
7: the, the scales. The, 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 is it? Uh, Mr. Yeah, absolutely. So, pangolins, historically in Hong Kong, I mean, up until, say, two years ago, we were definitely one of, if not the leading importer uh, of pangolin scales uh, and, and a really key thoroughfare for their trade. Uh, however, the data more recently doesn't necessarily indicate that there are any seizures being made of pangolin scales. Now I think the important caveat to that statement is just because it's not being seized does not mean that it's not coming through our city. Um, enforcement priorities you know, shift at, at times uh, and they have to focus on where that they, they either have the resources or where they think the priority should be at that moment in time. Um, so I would say It is a positive sign that we're not seeing such overt trafficking of pangolin scales, but I think the data would support that the pangolin trade in general around the world is probably still ongoing, and there's certainly still criminal organisations who are looking to shift it all around the world. Um, They've just been kind of biding their time as COVID has made things, uh, well has put chokehold uh, on on different parts of the trade.
6: This 408 uh, metric tonnes, what are we talking in terms of money?
7: Uh yeah, so I think the value was about a little over 200 million Hong Kong dollars. But I think it's important to also caveat that with those are probably conservative estimates on the value because these are often the raw product. So a log can come in and a log in and of itself is probably not worth all that much. But you give it to a master craftsman um, and he can then turn it into something which is a multi-million dollar product or multiple multi-million dollar products. So the value of these products is really being underestimated. Um, and that's also when we talk about live animals, you know, for a hatchling uh, of let's say Asian arowanas, those are an incredibly valuable fish so when they come in you can get them for you know probably a few hundred dollars to import them but when you grow them out to their full length they can actually sell for you know say a minimum of fifty thousand Hong Kong dollars per fish so it's an incredibly lucrative trade if you are willing to bide your time for say a year so you bring it into Hong Kong you grow it out and then you can sell it and absolutely make a fortune. Are we
6: uh, here is this import and export or local consumption?
7: It's most likely being smuggled out across the border into mainland China so I think one of the positive enforcement prioritizations by customs in particular and marine police has been to really focus on cross-border smuggling Uh, and I think that that is yielding some results and that's probably one of the contributing factors to the higher values and higher volumes that we are seeing being seized because whilst we've had reduced incoming um, cargo, potentially um, of of wildlife, we are seeing what's probably been stockpiled here for a little bit starting to flow out. Uh, And there's been a number of raids on warehouses. uh, There's been a number of seizures from trucks that are parked in, you know, uh, odd places, um, and speedboats that are participating or heading into mainland China for cross-border smuggling.
4: Uh, Let's return to uh, Dr. Sung. Dr. Sung, of course, was at the kick-off ceremony for the Ocean Park Conservation um, Day. Um, Dr. Sung, what would it take really to, you were saying that uh, turtles really are under threat, what what would it take to turn the tide and that we could be confident? Earlier on, we were talking about uh, pandas and how the tide has been turned with pandas and they're actually expanding. How, how, How could we move towards the same situation for turtles?
5: Yeah, it's, it's not easy. One thing is uh, different from other more like flagship or uh, charismatic animals. Uh, when we've been thought about turtles, when you think about turtles, most people, they, they do not think about wild turtles. They think about turtle jelly. They think about food. They think, think about maybe pet turtle or cartoon characters. So one thing, we hope that we want to raise their awareness. Uh, of, like, wild turtles. People know that they are actually wild turtles, and the wild turtles in Hong Kong are of, like, global importance. because elsewhere, like South Asia, China, their population are so rare. So this is one thing for, like, really conservation effort uh, with more people, like, paying attention. We have to get more resources, more people participated. And then another very important thing is to uh, strengthen enforcement on both like illegal uh hunting on site like in the wild and in Hong Kong and also related to the global trade it's about the illegal trade maybe related to in uh inspection at ports so they are preventing uh, species illegally smuggled into Hong Kong and also local sale uh in physical store in the past and now most of the illegal sale of animals including turtles are online on social media On yeah so, so I think these
6: are uh, two major things. Right. Yeah. So the, w- w- what is an improvement in, in terms of legal products, that is things online, is sort of has an unfortunate byproduct that it makes it easier also to buy and sell illegal products.
4: Yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Song, you, you referred to Hong Kong's um, population of totals being of global importance. Can you explain a bit further?
5: Yeah. So, like, uh, we got five species. at least I think maybe two, or three of the species with Hong Kong is probably one of the last like we call strong like strongholds so basically uh, scientists or other people do not really found good or robust population elsewhere in China or anywhere else across the distributions so like when, when, when uh, like as Michael mentioned a little bit when researchers from Asia came to Hong Kong we, we, we talked we share they, they were surprised that we still have wild turtles of those species in the wild so uh, therefore if we can't prepare, uh, preserve them in the wild, they, the whole species might become extinct. Um, wow. Not just in Hong Kong,
4: yeah.
6: That, was, that would be serious. Um, wh- where do where do these creatures come from? Which continents? Are we talking Africa, South America,
4: what? Do
5: you talk about the traded ones? Yes. Traded turtles? Uh, everywhere. So basically, uh, we got 500, uh, maybe around 560 species of turtles. I did some research and like within maybe a few years, we actually record 40% of all species in the world sell for sale in Hong Kong. So this is the scale of the market, like 40% of all species can be bought, can, is important, are important into Hong Kong for sale for our pet market. So uh, everywhere, basically all, all continents, except Antarctica.
6: Is there anything we can do in schools? Sam? I,
7: yeah. oh. uh, well, I mean, Obviously education is really critical but I think the the heart of this comes down to stronger regulation and stronger enforcement that's really you know before we allow these animals to enter our city where it becomes really difficult that's a, a really critical bottleneck. Uh, we have to make a a decision before these animals are allowed into our city and that's really where the system could do with a little bit of tightening up. Um, Because if we don't allow harmful, problematic animals to enter our city, then we don't have to deal with the chain reaction of consequences um, Mm -hmm. of allowing them into our city. Dr. Song? Yep.
6: Anything we can do with our children? Can we let them loose on this?
5: Sure. I mean, one thing that we do not really try to bring the kids to see turtle is one thing is we what, what we can find a wild are just native ones, the hump one. Second thing is without enforcement, worry that we tell, we educate 10 kids, but one kid when they grow older, they will just hunt the turtle and, you know, we'll just get rid of a wild turtle. So education, uh, but now it, it, we are, at, I think it, we are at the turning point that we cannot, that the hunting problem cannot get worse. So what we are trying to do is yeah, educate them about this, hope that it can become better. And at the same time, we try to push for enforcement uh, for uh, what I'm talking about, mainly for wild turtles, uh, try to using technologies to try to get them more intelligence of uh, for hunting and try to push the government to do enforcement better. At the same time, we educate the kids, hope that maybe five years, ten years, we can bring them to see wild turtles and enforcement is, um, uh, is strengthened they are not really worried about, like one people become a hunter, and then yeah.
4: Of course, we we, we just changed the law a couple of years ago with the amendment to the Organised and Serious Crime Ordinance uh, to um, actually strengthen enforcement powers, in freeze um, assets of suspected wildlife trafficking syndicates, and apply harsher penalties. Um, uh, Doctor Song, is, yep. is 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 that working, or are we saying that that change wasn't wasn't sufficient? Yeah,
5: it, it was it was it was a big change, but then. Uh, relatively I think uh, the penalty on turtle is still re- relatively low compared to other more charismatic animals so this is one thing that we want to push like compared to say ivory compared to pangolins most of the turtles are equally or even more endangered but then the penalty oh. we, we, we saw are uh, not as severe Might be because might be, uh, the judge is not well aware of the uh, endangerment hmm. of all these turtles And other things related, like like organized crimes, and also the enforcement is. We hope that the police can more proactively involve in the investigations and also enforcement because AFCD, those people are not really like, uh, do not have great like investigative powers and training compared to the police. Basically, some of the traders or hunters they are not worried about enforcement done by AFCD.
6: What can you tell us about the Reeves turtle? Which I gather there are some of those at Fanling in the golf course.
5: Right. So, they, so it's, it's an interesting one because they are endangered. So they are very, they are rare in the wild, but at the same time, they are a little bit different from other rare ones because they are heavily farmed in. So in China. So millions of Reese terrapins are farmed in China mainly to support the food market. And you can buy them in like for $10, $20 in the pet market. But uh, the thing is, a lot of people release them uh, in nursery release. So we found them in reservoir from the but, but from their optimal up habitat, like wetland, like marshes, like fish pond. Uh, we do not really see them anymore. They are very rare in their original, like where they should occur.
4: Uh, let's go back to uh, Sam English on, on the issue of enforcement, uh, and we mentioned that it's a very significant change in the law just a couple of years ago. Um, and how, how would you uh, assess the situation now in terms of um, how much the legal situation has improved and how much you, you presumably think still needs to be done?
7: Well, as I say, the scale of the illegal trade based on the proxy of seizures, the, the volume and the value of seizures that we're seeing coming into the city, uh, very strongly points to Organised, orchestrated crime, which is significant. I mean, it's high value. It has to be committed by a significant number of people, uh, and the modus operandi that they're using, namely something like cross-border smuggling, um, hints to you know transnational organisations or trans-transboundary um, groups that are quite proficient in this. So, what we need to be doing is taking players off the board. Uh, we can't. Continue to focus on taking pawns or mules off this chessboard. We need to actually start taking kingpins down, and that doesn't mean that we, you know, just focus on um, people who are based in other jurisdictions. We need to be really focusing on what's happening in Hong Kong. We need to be taking out those key intermediaries who are facilitating this trade the people who are transferring the funds who are receiving the funds the people who are organizing the cross border So you know. what what specifically would you like to see then? I mean what would you like to see that hasn't wasn't already introduced by the the last amendment to the law? Well It's not necessarily about amending the law. As I've said before, it's about enforcing the law. So I think the key component here is that we need some strong prosecutions. The intention of several of the key legislative reforms that we've had over the past five, six years is that they were intended to deter wildlife criminals. And one of the challenges is that we've seen wildlife volumes and wildlife values continue to rise so that to me indicates that the wildlife criminals are not getting the message so the key part here is that we need to start prosecuting them and convicting them handing down very severe sentences which they are provide which are provided for under the ordinances and we need to have these people um, known to the general public, we need to be aware that these prosecutions are happening, that these people are being convicted, that there is some accountability within the system that is taking these players off the board. I think that's really critical here. Right,
6: because once these trade channels open, and are open and established and profitable, the, the range of products can be wider, can't it? Absolutely, it, it won't just be animal species. Well, that could be other things.
7: Yeah, that's totally the case. I mean, in terms of the cross border smuggling, these people aren't necessarily just smuggling wildlife. You know, we see shark fin and bird's nest and abalone that's going across into. Uh, mainland China, along with wine, with Louis Vuitton bags, with Gucci watches or whatever it happens to be. There's all this high value product. We're seeing Asian arowanas that are being trafficked with tropical fish that are for consumption with lobsters. You know, these things are interconnected. And if you start to take these players out of the wildlife space, it's going to have a positive benefit in so many other areas of organised crime.
4: Okay, we'll have to draw the discussion to a close there. Um, Our thanks to uh, Sam English, the Wildlife Programme Manager at ADM Capital Foundation, and uh, Dr. Sung Yik He, Assistant Professor in the Science Unit of Lingnan University, who were with us in the second half of the show, of course, earlier on. Also, uh, Dr. Michael Lau, the Adjunct uh, Professor at the University of Hong Kong's uh, School of Biological Sciences. Uh, Moving on, uh, during the uh, pandemic, when we've been unable to travel, we've all been taking to um, hiking in in Hong Kong's um, hills um, um, much more and of course um that has led to a surge in the number of cases of um, accidents and uh, requirements for rescue um the um fire services department is moving to try and make it easier to um, actually um, uh, cope with these kind of hiking accidents uh, by introducing um, artificial intelligence to analyse photos taken by drones, which they say can speed up mountain rescue operations. And uh, joining us <coughs> to discuss this important development is Frankie Wong. Frankie Wong is Assistant Divisional Officer uh, of the Tactical Support Unit at the fire services department. Good morning, Mr Wong. Yeah, good morning. Thank you. Uh, maybe you can, perhaps you could start by explaining to us about this exciting development using um, analysing photos taken by drones.
8: Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, actually, the uh, Fire Services Department always devoted to look for some solutions and new technology to strengthen our operational capability. And with the development of the drone technology, we have to take a huge lump- amount of photos during past incidents. Uh, I would like to say about uh, the uh, the rescue that uh, we have two main categories. First one is the uh, the resc- uh, the uh, the uh, himself the member himself he can make the call the caller he can make the call to uh, uh, ask for help. It will have a very clear location for us to go with. And secondly, and for another kind of category is that uh, the. Uh, the caller didn't make the, the call himself. Uh, what what it what what it means is that uh, actually uh, we are facing some calls that uh, the call is raised by his caller, uh, raised by his family members or uh, other relatives that uh, report missing in the mountain. So uh, we always uh, uh, develop another kind of resources or uh, scale another kind of resources to deal with this kind of uh, incident. And for the software, we. Uh, there's a two steps for us to deal with. First is a photo collection steps. We have to collect a, a lot of aerial photos taken from the drone. And we learned that the photo taken has to be a specific photo format in, in terms of the resolution and the relative height to the ground. And this involves a specific drone operational techniques, uh, which is a terrain following uh, technique. And uh, put, to put it in perspective, uh, for one square kilometres, it will generate about uh, 14, thousand of uh, images, which equals to 140 standard soccer pitch size. And this is step one. And go to the step two is the core of the uh, software. We need to use the deep learning model by the artificial intelligence software that uh, it can detect the image Uh, It costs up to five seconds per Per, per image, and uh, after that, it will, uh, which uh, have a competence level, uh, generate that uh, in uh, descending order and it will be screened again by the by our frontline rescuer uh, for a particular uh, governance level after that if there's a suspect human object is detected it will be labeled in the photo and the ai model uh, has to be trained by uh, a lot of sample image which uh, we have to take the photo from uh, some of the training environment and in different terrain to let the model to learn uh, is it, 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 the actual environment, so that uh, the model could be able to recognize different poles of the human, such as uh, lying down with different positions or even standing and uh, in the in the status law, we accept to have a lower precision level there for the uh, software because we rather to uh, want to have more force positive for us to uh the, the, to the screen the photo and and rather than missing out the uh, uh, true positive image that uh, actually if the, the casualty is there mm-hmm. so. I think the uh, uh, software could help uh, our rescuer to save a lot of manpower uh, to screen out all the photos in the past, because in the past time, uh, if we have the drone, uh, we take a lot of photos. We, we need the rescuer to uh, sit down and uh, look to the computer and um, and have a look to right. almost thousands of photos. It will cause a lot of time. Of
6: course. Mr Wong, what kind of training are you giving your people?
8: Oh, what kind of training? Um, actually, uh, we we designed in, in the design phase of the software we we ask the local startup to design the software to be uh, easier to be used because it, it will be deployed to the frontline rescuer to use the software. So we will train up the, so the the the. There's no need, no not much training for the software, but for the uh, drone operation, we will uh, train up our operator to uh, equip them with the advanced rating course, which is uh, accredited by the uh, CAD, so that we can uh, uh, operate. To operate the drone uh, effectively.
6: Is it used uh, in other, this technique is used in other countries?
8: Oh yes, uh, actually, it is. Uh, it is a pioneer project for, uh, in, in the, I think, in the world to use the drone to analyze the image. Because uh, uh, in normal situation, for the artificial intelligence to analyze the image or analyze the the number of people, it is uh, always a, 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 a camera mounted on the lamppost. But for the drone image detection, because you know the. The drone is always moving to take the pictures, that is, uh, every picture is different in its background. And it is very challenging for the model to learn the, the photos that, that actually have a human inside because uh, every photo in the same environment, I mentioned in the, even in the same environment, if there's uh, sunlight or if it is raining, uh, the, the image will have different uh, output. And uh, if there's a member, if there are people in under the shadow, it will have a uh, different output. So we, it is very challenging for us to train up the image, train up the, the, the engine.
4: Now, uh, you mentioned that there are two categories of hiking accidents when the first category, which I think is the more common, when the um, the uh, hiker can call you yourself and um, give presumably give a reasonable uh, description of where they are. And the other, which is um, uh, less common, but very serious, is when, of course, somebody's just disappeared and you're using these pictures to search for them. And normally if someone has disappeared, they, they've fallen over, they can't move, and they're on the ground. Um, uh, maybe even they're on the ground somewhere with, um, with trees, or trees above them. How much can uh, drone pictures, even with artificial intelligence, help in uh, finding someone who is um, not moving on the ground, perhaps with um, a tree cover?
8: Um, actually, we, in our field experience, that uh, when we are conducting a search and rescue mission uh, in traditional way, we only have uh, uh, an angle from the ground. We have to uh, uh, move through, through the ground, uh, visit the bushes, uh, visit the tree underneath to uh, try to look for the possible uh, the, the, the subject. And actually, this is a, a limitation for the technology right now because uh, if the, the casualty himself is uh, lying under the tree and it is fully covered by the tree, and uh, in the the drone image cannot take the photo effectively uh, to, to uh, locate or pinpoint that person. But if it is uh, taken from a 45 degree uh, inclined uh, a- angle, and it may be able for us to. Detect a human being un- underneath the,
6: the, the uh, yes. Mark, more, more people are hiking. I think now for the reasons we mentioned at the beginning, that is, uh, we've been basically trapped in Hong Kong yeah. and unable to travel for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Have you have you noticed an up an uptick in the number of people uh, oh, you're searching y- for? Yes,
8: uh, correct. Uh, uh, I have some statistics to share with uh, all of you that uh, in. 2019, there's uh, only 215 number of incidents as received by Fire Services Department, and in 2000, 2020 it already raised uh, to 602, and, two, and in 2021 it uh, or even increased to 951 number of calls. That uh, it, it, it 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 only is show an, an upward trend for um, for us to see that actually uh, if. Everyone cannot travel to outside, uh, uh, out of other country. Uh, They will perform uh, the hiking activity because uh, I think uh, Hong Kong has a very uh, nice view and the uh, mountain is nearby. So everyone will choose to uh, uh, do some exercise uh, in the mountain.
4: Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, Frankie Wong, uh, Assistant Divisional Officer at the Tactical Support Unit of the Fire Services Department, uh, talking about uh, uh, the use of drones in yet another context. Uh, drones are becoming part of our life for now, aren't they? In so many contexts, uh, uh, being used to uh, detect uh, people who have, have had accidents um, um, and to, to help locate them and bring that, them in. Those
6: was increasing numbers. It's pretty dramatic, isn't it? From just over 200 to 950. In yes, two but years. I mean,
4: if you've been on the hiking trails in the last couple of years, you just see they're so crowded, right? I mean, we'll have yeah. to wait and see whether that now changes. Now people are able to travel again, and maybe the numbers will reduce. Anyway, thank you, Mike. Uh, interesting show. It was, you know,
6: when I saw the title, I thought, can we spend 45 minutes on turtles? Wow, we did spend 45 minutes on turtles and it, we could have gone longer.
4: OK, the weather forecast, of course, the uh, standby signal number one is, is currently still hoisted, uh, but nonetheless, the weather forecast is not too bad. Uh, dry with sunny period, maximum temperature will be around uh, 28 degrees, although, there, as you would expect, there are uh, some strong winds, occasionally ge- gale force on um, higher ground. Currently, the temperature is 24 degrees, relative humidity 55%.
6: Sitting for too long is bad for your health. To guard against chronic diseases like hypertension and diabetes, you should be more physically active and reduce your time spent sitting. Let's cut down on our chair time and get up and walk more every day for better health. Visit chp.gov.hk
2: for more details.
4: The News with Benjo.
2: Around 200 financial leaders from more than 100 institutions have been arriving in Hong Kong ahead of the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit, which starts tomorrow. Daryl Chan, deputy CEO of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, told an RTHK program the event was all about Hong Kong reconnecting and reopening as COVID-19 recedes. Distraught relatives in Seoul have been visiting hospitals and a missing persons center, searching for people who may have been injured